0: Hello everybody, my name is Nikki Rohani. It's a pleasure to be here. Uh, I've been invited and I've been given the honor of uh, introducing Dr. Iraj Obedion, who's our speaker for the night. I'll give you a couple, I mean, Dr. Obedion's achievements and uh, his list of accomplishments are very long and it would, uh, after a while, it would just get too much. So I'm gonna give you a couple of highlights. Uh, Dr. Obedion got his PhD from Simon Fraser University in Canada. Uh, he was the professor of economics at the University of Cape Town in South Africa. Cape Town, South Africa, the one of the most beautiful cities in the world where he's calling us from now. Uh, so he's joining us internationally. Um, Dr. Obedian also had extensive involvement in South Africa's institutional restructuring uh, and public policy in the post-apartheid era of South Africa. Um, in 2005, he founded Pan-African Holdings, an investment company that has made investments in housing, in infrastructure and also uh, South Africa's first environmental clean tech uh, fund, which is extremely important. Uh, he most recently authored a new book, co-authored a new book called Future Next, uh, and it's all about reimagining our world and conquering uncertainty. Uh, Dr. Abedian is a very influential economist, um, and really all of these achievements, more important than any of them for me, is that he is a person who has thought long and hard about many issues related to the way that the world is ordered, to its systems, and to how those systems relate to moral and ethical and the spiritual realities which underlie the human condition. Uh, Also to me he's been a, a wise uncle, somebody who I can ask many questions of and practically like family. It is our pleasure to welcome Dr. Abedion who is going to be speaking to us about the prevailing world disorder when evolution and revolution meet. And personally one of the reasons why I'm so excited to hear about this particularly from Dr. Abedion is because from an economic point of view and looking at things systematically coming from it from all of the experience that he has as a professor of economics but also as a bahai who can use the bahai writings and the perspective that the bahai writings give him on the ethical and moral underpinnings of where the world is headed as we treat start to treat the world and see it as one system of interconnected peoples Um, i'm very excited to hear how he interprets this and how he really sees things going forward so I'm very excited and and very excited to be here and to have you uh, join me in welcoming Dr. Abedian to speak to us tonight.
1: Thank you very much, Nikki, and um, um, thank you, everybody. It is absolute honor for me to be with you this evening. Uh, After hearing about the history of uh, the name of this fireside, I feel even more uh, uh, privileged to have this opportunity. Um, and it is indeed uh, a new era in our uh, uh, coexistence globally to be able to have this privilege of of uh, talking at your fireside, sitting from the bottom end of Africa. Uh, and I don't know how many countries are. borders have been uh, certainly uh, redefined. Uh, new borders are taking shape and I'll come back to some of those. Uh, In order to structure my thoughts uh, uh, and I uh, genuinely and uh, from the bottom of my heart invite you to have a critical uh, perspective. I like to hear your views as much as I have the opportunity to share uh, my reflections on it. Um, I've put a few slides together so that I can systematically go through uh, what I have prepared and then we can have uh, some uh, discussions. The present day disorder um, it is uh, I guess stating the obvious that we have at the moment wherever we are for the first time in the history of human beings we can pretty much uh, share both excitement and trauma. Never ever before have been able to uh, simultaneously uh, share each other's state of being as homo sapiens uh, in no less than 50, 60 years ago, you had to wait until a book comes out, a movie comes out, a traveler goes somewhere to tell you what's happening in Oxford and the Oxford knows what's happening in Cape Town. Um, nowadays, uh, Zoom can instantaneously uh, link us. And the reality is that the global circumstances of humanity is a mix, a parallel mix of unprecedented excitement and unparalleled trauma. Um, excitement about phenomenal scientific progress in on all fronts, and I'll come back to some of them, and on parallel trauma on many fronts. Uh, of course, COVID-19 uh, pandemic is a phenomenal global case in point of trauma um, that has united humanity in pain, anxiety and uncertainty and fear. Um, and uh, for the first time, uh, And to the best of my knowledge, there is no event in the prior uh, recorded history of humankind that uh, such a large percentage, well over 90% of humanity has been engulfed in it, directly and indirectly. Rich and poor, uh, uh, North and and South, West and East, uh, we have an ongoing unfolding trauma, uh, some of which, has to do with the way our globe is, is governed or misgoverned. Shoghi Effendi back uh, uh, in the 1930s, uh, reflecting on what was happening at that time in between the two world wars, he wrote the wall, to whichever continent we turn our gaze, to whoever, to however remote a region our survey makes sense, is everywhere assailed by forces it can neither explain nor control. I would submit that that applies exactly to today, to November 2020. Uh, no matter where we go, big and small, uh, rich and poor countries, um, capitalist or socialist, communist or populist, we all have one question in common. What is happening? Who is in charge? Where are we going? What did it happen? And how are we going to get out of it? So that question remains unanswered and I'll try to share with the best of my um, uh, ability uh, some reflections on it by no stretch of imagination, a conclusive answer, but these are my systemic reflection on the reality that uh, what is quite visible is that there is a universal fermentation at play. It is no longer a question of a public health issue. It has already mutated into a socio-political phenomenon, far more consequential than simply a uh, health pandemic. And that really goes to suggest that from a systemic point of view, by that I mean from a socio-political, economic and human psychology, we had all the predispositions for a particular public health to highlight and to make it abundantly clear that the system as we have it has massive predispositions. Uh, fault lines and vulnerabilities on many fronts, be it on the race, be it on gender, be it on minorities, be it on the environment, and so on and so forth. We'll come back to some of those. My suggestion is that we have at the moment potentially a clash between evolutionary process of secular civilization, as well as the imperatives of the human spiritual advancement. So what I like to do in the rest of my session is to unpack these and demonstrate, share my views that in essence, increasingly we have a disconnect between the secular evolutionary processes and the spiritual nature of homo sapiens. So let's unpack what do I mean by these terms. Let's just look at some of the evolutions that we have so far recorded human evolution much has been written about it scientific uh, documents and 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 evidence has made it quite uh, very uh, quite clear and undeniable that homo sapiens have evolved dramatically almost beyond recognition their consciousness has a spread from a very narrow um, regional almost very local to nowadays a global almost universal so at the human level although we we call humans but we are not the same version of the human that we were uh, let's say a thousand years ago or 200 years ago in the today's common language we have mutated uh, from one version of ourselves to the current version on the scientific evolution we have seen over the past 200 years an unprecedented and almost unstoppable process of scientific evolution. Uh, We have gone through uh, agrarian revolution, we have gone through industrial revolution, we have gone through post-industrial revolution, we are in the midst of fourth industrial or possibly fifth industrial revolution, and who knows how scientific evolutions will unfold. But one thing which is quite clear is that The whole concept of scientific discovery is now being redefined and is evolving itself. The spiritual evolution of human beings is equally undeniable. We have moved from being uh, from the recorded history being very centered around our uh, possibly in today's language, very naive notion of uh, who we are and how we should relate to our to our creator what sources of fear we should have whether the the wind and the earthquake are uh, signs of uh, of god being angry with us or some of us even worshiping suns and moons and different types of spiritual symbolism to today where the notion of a spiritual, nature of a human being and our relationship with powers beyond our physical existence have evolved dramatically from a cosmic evolution physicists and cosmologists are telling us that we don't have anymore a universe never mind that the earth is moving and the sun is fixed and all of those basic stuff we've now moved to a point that we're talking about not universe but multiverse We are talking about black matter and string theory and all the other stuff that I have no clue about. But one thing is clear, our notion of cosmic configuration and the dynamics of cosmic definition have now evolved to a completely different era of of understanding and is unfolding quite unstoppably. Social-political evolution, likewise, has in a way become a lot more complex. Societies are no longer a group of people who can just label them as uh, black or white, Indian or, 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 or British, Mexican or American. Uh, societies have evolved, the notion of politics has evolved, the series of political dynamics as well as sociology of political morality and all the related issues are as complex as cosmic evolution. For the, for the <laughs> physicists, uh, when they look at sociopolitical complexity, they run away to textbook and laboratories the same way that the social scientists uh, run away from the complexities of cosmic evolution. Economic and industrial revolution, likewise, has evolved beyond recognition. Humanity at the moment, it is a fact to suggest, has reached a stage that can create wealth at a rate never seen before, never even envisaged or or contemplated. Uh, And yet, despite its ability to create wealth, to maximize efficiency of production, it is literally hassled and chained by the complexities of distribution of production. So we have the the uh, polar situation, uh, almost oxymoron of never so rich as a group of, of, of inhabitants of the earth and never before have we seen such extremes of wealth and, and poverty. So much abundance at the same time that So much suffering and uh, deprivation taking place at the same time. Financial and resource management, likewise. Global economy has become, has evolved to a financially integrated uh, unit. And finally, the evolution of governance, governance at micro and macro level. Despite all the evolutions that we have seen, despite all the codes that we have developed, despite all the techniques that we have introduced, governance remains our biggest challenge. This is just a list, a a selective, by no means exhaustive, list of evolutions that our civilization on the planet has gone through. So this evolution has created a phenomenal degree of complexity with a growing uh, and visible fault lines in all of them. So the mismatch, in my view, exists between the systemic evolution and human aspirations. As human beings, we have evolved to become um, a lot more intelligent than we used to be. Remember, historically, once upon a time, our forefathers relied on their brawn power, their muscle power, their physique to be able to survive in the forest and in, against the, the beasts of the of the jungle or the mountains. Uh, that evolved to a point of industrial revolution when brain power became the dominant uh, comparative advantage. Those who were brighter, they could invent and they could dominate. Nowadays. <clears throat> Our growth has moved to a different sphere of human beings. I would submit more and more to our heart, to our soul, where increasingly we find it that it's not just sufficient for our happiness to be intelligent or to be powerful, to be masculine. We see that there are more attributes, more attributes emerging from the evolution of human beings and their inner aspirations. So we have a mismatch between what we have created intellectually and the welfare and the happiness that we seek because of what we are. Therefore, as Erwin Laszlo and many other uh, system analysts have, have reminded us that we have, from a systemic perspective, this kind of mismatch or disconnects you cannot resolve them from internal point of view. When the internal mechanism of a system goes out of balance, it requires external interventions. And of course, in the past, we have seen, um, as human beings have gone through various eras of progress and evolution, we have seen ongoing and occasional, but regular, or if you like, systematic divine interventions that have helped the unstable human society to move both from a secular point of view as well as from a spiritual point of view. And I submit that that is where we are at the moment. We are in the middle of a systemic shift from one uh, balance to another, and it's quite in a way traumatic, because the old and crumbling world around us, as I mentioned in those various revolutions that we have had, is going through a fairly traumatic, disruptive, and yet unstoppable process of moving from one system to another. And that is where some of the complexities, some of the pain, some of the uncertainties and sufferings come in. Just look at some of the illustrative cases of challenges that we face at the moment. These are pretty well known and there are uh, research institutes around the globe that are looking at these various, I've chosen just 15 of them, but by no means exhaustive, but sustainability and climate change is a daily concern uh, across the globe. It is not a nation specific or region specific concern. Water, population, democratization and you can read the rest of it the reality is that the system has these serious fault lines that are no longer manageable or solvable systemically cannot be brought into an equilibrium only with scientific inputs only with a if you like a a, a, a logical and rational solution. It needs a lot more and it requires increasingly a different type of uh, attributes of human beings that needs to come to play in order to restore stability and also help the system to transmute from one dysfunctional, almost out of context, or not fit for purpose in the language of systems and solution to a new evolving system. For example, at the global level, once upon a time we had G2, east and west, then it became G8, then it became g 20 I argue today there is G0, nobody is in charge. And uh, and that's where we are. Because those notions have to be redefined and uh, in a, globalized economy in a globalized environment in a globalized financial system in a globalized social political system we need to redefine how this uh, table should be rearranged so to speak Um, none of those evolutionary processes are any longer suitable it was only about 20 odd years ago and when um, i think uh, minister tony blair was in the uk that they said, no, let's just be very progressive and introduce G20 because we can't just keep it to eight nations. If we bring 20 nations together, that will solve the problem. Of course, now the facts speak for themselves. That was as unsuitable uh, as G8 or G2. It's interesting to know that it's our first time in human history, as uh, James Martin noted, Um, that he says ours is the first generation with the means for many to know the world as a whole. Identify global improvement systems, seek to improve such systems. We are the first people to act via internet with like-minded individuals around the globe. We have the ability to connect the right ideas to resources and people to help address our global and local challenges. So there is no shortage of ability or capability or technology, the, the, the shortage or the mismatch or disconnect, in my view, lies somewhere else. And the title of my, my uh, presentation really is inspired by this uh, statement from Baha'u'llah, uh, the, the founder prophet of, of the Baha'i faith, Uh, back in the middle of the second half of the 19th century was of the view that the global system had to change. He wrote not just uh, in a uh, one or two, but he wrote to all the powers to be at that time, both secular as well as religious, um, bringing to their attention that The time of evolutionary progress had to come to an end and be replaced by a rapid and revolutionary revolutionary, uh, replacement of the old system with the new system. He wrote in this very unequivocal uh, tone that the world's equilibrium, he said, has been upset through the vibrating influence of this most great, this new world order. He was referring to his own message to his own exhortations and teachings and his own observation that the old system was no longer fit for the state of the development and the progress of homo sapiens. He said man's older life has been revolutionized through the agency of this unique this wondrous system referring to his teachings and his proposed world order and he made it very clear that this is a system the like of which mortal eyes have never witnessed. In other words, do not look back for an evolutionary, uh, refined and manicured or slightly variation on what you have. Think out of the box, think new and think a fairly revolutionary departure from the past that humanity had up to that point. At that point, back in the 18 uh, 18- Sixties, He wrote to all the rulers of the time, evolutionary departure from the power structure, the economic structure, the religious structure, and the social structures that both the East and the West were familiar with. His argument was that human beings have reached to a point that those old evolutionary processes were no longer fit for purpose, no longer consistent with the aspirations of human beings as we have now. Needless to say that rulers of the time did not listen, um, and uh, needless to say that despite his uh, exhortations, uh, neither Napoleon nor uh, Prussian leaders nor Americans or Middle Eastern rulers and leaders responded to him. for you who are majority in uk you would be uh, interested to know that um of all the rulers that he wrote to queen victoria was the one who said well if this is if this message is from god it will survive i don't have to do anything about it and of course you and i talk today and we discuss um the fact that all the predictions and observations that that Baha'u'llah at that time had made came to pass and of course the the essence of his message was that from a systemic point of view the evolutionary processes have limitations and there comes to a point where evolutionary processes need to in a way give way to revolutionary transformation and transmutation and it is here that over the past 30 years at least, as a student of, of economics and social science, I have uh, been studying and, and reflecting on various aspects of these systems, this mismatch that we have between evolutionary processes, as well as the need for revolutionary departure from these systems. For example, we know that uh, from a Purely economic point of view, uh, we have more resources than 7 billion people on Earth need. But how do we get, in a fairly revolutionary way, how do we get those resources to be so distributed and even before distribution so applied that meets the needs, the social and welfare needs of humanity? Let me give you. A couple of examples, from purely resource point of view, if over the past five years, we had spent no more than 10% of the global military budget, and spend that 10% towards public health in all global poor and rich countries, We would not have 10% of the casualties that the pandemic has exacted on humanity. It's really as simple and as plain as that. All we had to do was to use 10% of the military budget, not all of it, and avoid all this pain and suffering that, by the way, hasn't finished yet. It's unfolding, it spikes, it flares up, and nobody knows what the next and the end game will be. The political system, the so-called strategic thinkers and the national security agencies who spend billions and billions of dollars on submarines, on space protection, on scientific and latest tanks and bullets and everything else, um, they are anything but national Strategic security institutes, or groups, or think uh, think tanks, experts, etc., etc. We have seen that that evolutionary processes, and this is a problem of evolution. Evolution says, "Look, it's the age of not uh, soldiers going like the first World War, second World War, uh, mowing each other down. It's the age of drones, and it's the age of submarines, and then some other scientific." Uh, expert comes and says, no, 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 even that is not in a reach. All we have to do is to just send viruses through the systems, through the software. We don't even have to move from our desk. We can disable uh, the enemy or win the war, so to speak. That is evolutionary thought process. That is bettering what we had before. Whereas the challenge is not on that front at all. We can spend those billions on those weapons. And when the welfare of nation is at risk, none of those evolutionary solutions is fit for purpose. Likewise, we can, I'm using that because it's so so common and so real for, for us these days, we can do exactly the same evolutionary thinking to how do we structure money and, and the economy to take care of, of of, of economic growth. If we go the evolutionary process as we know it in economic and, and the financial structuring, uh, project financing, developmental finance, etc cetera, etc, cetera, it would be as deficient as trying to use the weapons against the enemy. The game has changed, but the institutions of governance haven't changed. Another example of evolutionary process which does not meet the the revolutionary times is nowhere more evident than the G0 system that we have at the moment. (laughs) We have a global phenomenon, be it the COVID-19 pandemic, be it misogyny, be it abuse of children, be it abuse of the environment, all of these they know no borders, they are not national issues, they are not cultural issues, they are not related to any geographic uh, specific area. These are issues of humanity. But evolutionary thought says, no, I want to make Brazil great or America great, UK wants to take care of UK and South Africa wants to take care of South Africa. In that evolutionary process, we're getting nowhere. We have not solved any of these problems despite all the political commitments. We have not dealt with issues of misogyny. We have not dealt with issues of race. We have not dealt with issues of environment. We have not dealt with issues of child abuse and so on and so forth. And increasingly, We have not dealt with issues of governance at local or international level. In the name of sovereignty, we keep promoting abuse of public resources in both developed and developing nations. Let me remind you that when UK and US decided to invade Iraq, the number that they had put together to wrap up this whole thing against Saddam Hussein was 85 million (laughs) dollars. Now, count the billions (laughs) that have gone into it and it's not finished. This is how governance in an evolutionary mindset is abusing democracy, abusing institutions of governance at the expense of the poor at the at the expense of the taxpayer both in the rich and the poor communities and i'm using uk and us because these are the most established recognized institution of institutions of governance best case of accountability uk particularly having uh, the longest history of 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 institutionalized democratic an accountable system. And yet we see uh, when the moment comes in, when the challenge arises, they are not fit for purpose. And of course, when you go to outside this institution, then it gets only worse. (laughs) Then uh, if you go to autocratic societies, then there is no question of accountability. Nobody expects it. What China does and India does and and so on and so forth, there is no expectation of accountability. the point I'm making is, in whatever sphere of human um, existence at the moment, from a socio-political point of view, from a financial and, and governance point of view, from an institutional point of view, we have a serious mismatch. That in developed countries and developing countries, in the rich and the poor countries, increasingly it's become clear that the system that, that we have is what we don't like we are not happy it's not conducive to our welfare we know our resources are being abused we know our resources are being uh, squandered and in many many cases possibly in the majority of countries developed and underdeveloped through corruption and malfeasance these resources are being literally siphoned out Uh, at the expense of the generality of human beings. We know that, uh, and it hurts us. We are unhappy. We feel something has to be done. And yet, from a systemic point of view, wherever we are, we sort of thinking that, well, if only we improve on this aspect, if we just evolve a little bit, more on that front or on this front, it will come right. We try it and it doesn't work. And therefore, I submit that all these fault lines, all these disconnects that we feel have become in a very obvious and undeniable way, first of all, universal. It's no longer, corruption is no longer a question of, poor countries or undemocratic countries. Poor governance is not just a South issue. The North can get itself, has gotten itself into it too. The issues of racial uh, prejudice is no longer a question of poor countries who don't have resources and they are fighting over resources. The issues of women abuse or women rights is no longer a question, minority is not a question confined to any region. So increasingly these issues have become global and therefore we need to have a global revolutionary, not evolutionary approach that would redefine all of these and seek solutions not so much based on human intelligence or human brain but based on human aspirations and human heart and this is one of the distinguishing features of this evolving system the whole losses soon will the present day order will be rolled up and the new one spread in its space in its state in other words this is not going to be a marginal change it's not going to be an evolutionary process it is a re- literal roll up of what is no longer fit, and a literal spreading of a new system. Furthermore, he says the whole earth is now in a state of pregnancy. We can discuss in our in our discussion what what we are pregnant with as a human, as a society. The day is approaching, he says, when it will have yielded its noblest fruits. When from it will have a strong force, the loftiest trees, the most enchanting blossoms, the most heavenly blessings. After a time, and this is very important, we can see, we can experience it at the moment, all the governments on earth will change. Not some of them, not democratic or autocratic, left or right, west or north east, all will change. Oppression will envelop the world, and following a universal convulsion, the sun of justice will rise from the horizon of the unseen realm. I submit that as we speak, we are in the middle of this fermentation, this convulsion, where on the one hand, we know what we have is not fit. We don't like it. We cannot live with it. It's not conducive to our welfare and our happiness. And it doesn't matter with what religion we have, it doesn't matter what ideology we have, it doesn't matter what, uh, uh, what national identity we have, one thing that we have in common increasingly is the fact that we can feel and argue that we do not like what we see, it doesn't sit with us nicely. In March 2013, the governing, the international governing body of the, of the Baha'i faith called the Universal House of Justice, issued a statement that encouraged us, encouraged the Baha'i members of the international Baha'i community to see in the revolutionary changes, and I draw your attention to, to this term revolutionary changes, because that's what my study over the past few years has been focused on is is the need for for revolutionary change and the need for ourselves as individuals. And we don't have to be Baha'is, we don't have to believe in it or oppose it. The reality is that what is taking place around us are revolutionary changes. People are not not comfortable with, they are not satisfied with uh, incremental changes. And in particular, the younger generations across the globe, irrespective of their ideological and religious orientation and associations, they are increasingly restless. They don't don't want to put up with the older generations who are all grown up and socialized to be evolutionary. (laughs) They want things to slowly move and the youth they say that's not good enough. We have seen it both in Europe, as well as in the Middle East, in Africa, and every direction that we look at, we see that these time-honored institutions are no longer fit for purpose. And of course, most recently, uh, one of the very respected institutions, one of the, much needed institutions is coming under severe criticism and attack and that is the, the very United Nations. Uh, inevitable as it is, it's becoming increasingly dysfunctional, not fit for purpose, and I'm sure you've had a fireside on it, I, I did not do not uh, say any more. But that is not really unique to, to any particular dimension, the banking system is not fit. The governance systems are not fit. The, the way resources are allocated between the CEOs and the working class, the dominant class and, and, the, and the and the middle management, all these systems are no longer fit for purpose. So the Universal House of Justice draws our attention to the fact that we are in the middle of this uh, systemic change. Changes are not marginal, changes are Quite dramatic and revolutionary, and we should welcome them. We should not be, uh, in a way, uh, expecting uh, marginal changes. Uh, Nikki mentioned a reference to to a new book that we just published. Uh, one of the uh, concepts that in this book we we strongly. Uh, argue and put forward for discussion is we all use the term normal. We say, well, when is this COVID thing is going to finish so that we can go back to normal? Have you heard that? Um, they, uh, we're waiting for this vaccine to take us back to normal. We argue that we don't, that's not normal. That was just familiar. We mustn't confuse what was familiar that we were socialized in a bit normal. And don't forget that once upon a time, not so long ago, many countries didn't allow women to vote, that was normal. No, it wasn't normal, it was familiar. And therefore, we should be aware and conscious that the revolutionary changes are even in the language that we use. Our hope as as human beings, our moral values, and I like to believe that every single one of us in this meeting, we don't want to go to a normal if normal means so much abuse of social resources. As I mentioned to you, for military and, and security, but not health, not education. That cannot be normal, that was just familiar. We do not want to go situation normal when minorities are abused, where women are abused, where children are neglected, where the environment is neglected. Do you really want to define that normal? I don't. I find it just a familiar that uh, thank God is behind us and I'll do everything within my power not to see it again. And I would, will not insult the term normal if that is defined as normal. Normality is, for you and I as human beings, must be defined very differently, must be defined as a society that we have enough resources to, for everybody to be comfortable, for everybody to be protected, to everybody to be respected. That is normal and compatible with human beings. What we have been socialized to see as familiar, we should not call it normal. So. It is this process of redefining the very concepts of normality, the very concepts of acceptability, the very concept of sustainability, the very concept of governability, and the very concept of activism. We need to move from sympathetic activism to empathetic activism. That is compatible with human beings. Human beings do not like to watch people being slaughtered and they they do nothing. Human beings do not want to watch people being robbed and they stand and analyze it. Our instinct says when somebody is in trouble, stretch and do something, is it not? That's what gives us satisfaction. I don't think any one of us gets satisfaction by just going home and analyzing. And you know, today I saw so many kids being kicked around and I just watched them and analyze them. That cannot be satisfactory. That cannot be definition of human beings. And therefore our spiritual impulse, our consciousness impulse is not just be sympathetic, but to be empathetic. To be an active empathetic player in the transformation of the society and the environment in which we live. That is... A revolutionary transmutation or mutation of human beings that moves us from simply intellectually dealing with a situation, which is sympathy, analysis, detailed, um, developing apps that would give us real time, real minuta, to an empathetic, heart driven, not necessarily comfortable sometimes, but satisfying. And there's a big difference between these concepts. In game of this two clash, the clash of evolutionary processes and revolutionary imperative of the system that is evolving is best defined by Shoghi Effendi, the guardian of the Baha'i faith. And my reflections over the past uh, 15 years that I've been discussing this, I've been unpacking it to different subsystems of economies, governance, etc., cetera, et cetera. But uh, this is the, the guideline, this is the framework within which our today's um, chaotic and conflicting forces of evolution and revolution are at play. Shoghi Fendi says, the world is in truth moving on towards its destiny. The interdependence of the peoples and nations of the earth, whatever the leaders of the divisive forces of the world may say or do, is already an accomplished fact. Um, It goes without saying that Shoghi Effendi says, in a way, these old leaders who are becoming increasingly irrelevant, what they do and what they say is totally immaterial to the revolutionary processes that are at play. Its unity in the economic sphere is now understood and recognized. The welfare of the part means the welfare of the whole, and the distress of the part brings distress to the whole. Adversity prolonged, worldwide, afflictive, allied to chaos and universal destruction must needs convulse the nations. stir the conscience of the world, disillusion the masses, precipitate a radical change in the very conception of society. Note again, Shoghi Effendi repeats what Baha'u'llah says, that it cannot be a marginal change. It will be a radical, in my understanding, my my interpretation, not necessarily a Baha'i interpretation. My interpretation is that this is where the radical revolutionary change is at play. In the very conception of the society, and coalesce ultimately the disjointed, the bleeding limbs of mankind into one body, single, organically united, and indivisible. So that's the end game. And this has, by the way, been the process in the past. The history of human evolution, whenever a new manifestation of God has come, it's been such a shock to the system that has shaken the Roman Empire. Uh, initially dismissing it and soon after that uh, imploding as a result of it. So it's nothing new in that sense. In historic ways, nothing new. The dynamics of evolution and revolution clashing has been the history of mankind from the time that we know Adam was so-called brought to the books. (laughs) Um, Since then, every time that a manifestation of God comes in, brings the impulse into the system, destabilizes the system, disrupts the evolutionary processes and brings in revolutionary impulse to an already unsustainable system. What's the difference now as opposed to the past? The only difference is this, in my understanding. In my view, the the only difference is this is the first time that the entirety of human being is engulfed, It's not confined to a particular region, a particular tribe, or a particular grouping of human beings. It's for the first time that you cannot get away from it, whether you migrate from England to Mexico, from Mexico to Middle East, from Middle East to France, wherever you go, you are in the grip of this titanic clash of evolutionary forces that they want to take things slowly, marginally, controlled experiment and revolutionary forces that at every turn on all subsystems of the economy, politics, sociology, environment and human psychology, they are upsetting the system. It is this radical change that is at play and I submit the ultimate goal is to make a coherence between what is inside us and what is outside us we live in these two universes a universe inside which has got a spiritual dimension which has got a moral dimension which has got a heart driven dynamics guided by mind but driven by heart and emotions and feelings and a universe outside which has got all these systems of governance economy finance technology etc etc so far this out universe is primarily driven by human intelligence very little human heart in it and the time is now for this clash to culminate in a harmonization of the inner universe and the outer universe i'll stop it here thank you very much
0: thank you so much thank you so much that was wonderful really Judging by all of the uh, the virtual claps you're getting, it seems like everybody uh, everybody tends to agree.